0: to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring.
1: Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck too. From Alaska to Montana, After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, Wild Game Recipes for the Grill, Smoker, Campfire, and Camp Stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with aji verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire-charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit themeateater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan.
0: A man in British Columbia was smacked in the face by a grouse earlier this month as he was driving in his car into Prince George, BC. Everything kind of went bright, and I heard a ringing in my ears, said Josh Seymour, an elected counselor with a local First Nations tribe. The bird had somehow managed to fly through the four inch gap between the top of Seymour's open window and the door frame. An ornithologist told CBC News that the odds of that happening are one in a million. How an ornithologist is qualified to come up with those odds, we'll never know. The possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. Grouse will often flush at the sound of an oncoming vehicle, but they usually end up in the car's grill or front bumper. This grouse was actually pretty lucky to find himself inside the vehicle rather than flattened underneath it. Seymour was confused enough for the both of them. It took about 20 seconds for me to realize I had been hit because I was still trying to figure out why there was a grouse in my vehicle. He at first thought he'd been hit with a snowball. The grouse appeared to take the whole incident in stride. Seymour posted a video of the bird in his back seat, and he let it back into the woods, mostly unharmed, but looking a little more ruffled than usual. That's catch and release. Spring season, anyway. They're out there breeding, gotta leave them alone. Anyway, this week... Expensive trout, winter kill, fake meat, and striped bass. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was spent out of the Mobile Turkey Camp, the Black Series Camper. My first excursion with the camper this season, and was happy to see that my winterization job mostly worked. A little wrenching left to do on finding the hole in the uh, instant hot water heater and patching that, hopefully. If not, if anybody knows uh, someone at Fogati which sounds like a fancy Italian sports car, but uh, they make uh, tankless hot water heaters? Uh, Let me know. The birds cooperated. The shooting was good, and the food was great. Homemade brats, peppers and onions on hoagie rolls, butter-basted, sautéed, alua, mule deer loin, and bolognese on gnocchi. We ate well. My girlfriend Sam and I both got a Tom and a Jake apiece. The action started out outrageously good, Then the weather changed, as did the temperament of the birds. we started out by calling in birds from like a quarter mile away. It was super awesome. And then we got this amazing thunderstorm. Big lightning thunder, temperature dropped, dumped a bunch of rain, 35 one-hundredths of an inch to be exact. And I'm aware that there's, you know, turkeys elsewhere in the country where fog is like a normal part of their day and it probably doesn't affect them. Well, I will tell you, that in this part of eastern Montana, when the fog hit after that early spring thunderstorm, well, those birds shut up. We got a lot of hiking in, didn't find very many ticks this year, which was awesome, and it's always a win when you can get any turkey killed when you have a uh, bird-obsessed Labrador and a bird-curious Border Collie underneath your jacket the whole time. So anyway, we wound up with a couple of Jakes and a couple of Toms, Turkeys are high on my list because we have precious little white meat in the freezer. It's pheasants, turkeys, and fish, maybe a chunk of mountain lion or a pig from time to time. On top of that, change in protein, turkey stock. Right now, in the background of this recording, you may hear the little, you know, pops and fizzes and steaming sounds of a pressure cooker. So far this spring, I have put up 26 quarts of turkey stock and two quarts of peacock stock. That stuff is like gold. It's great for sauces, soups, pastas, rices, just a drink on a cold day, whatever. And by canning it, I don't tie up precious freezer space. One tip I have for you in regards to birds, I use my steel lopping shears to cut through the carcasses about every two inches. By breaking open all those hollow bones, you get a better stock in less time, and you can dispose of the broken down bones a bit easier than dealing with like an entire carcass that's mostly attached. The other fun thing about these birds is you can really utilize the entire animal. At this point, I pluck every bird, I debone the breasts, I keep the thighs and wings, then everything from the beak to the toenails goes in the stock pot. It is collagen-rich, awesome sauce. You got to try it. Now, as you may have heard, this is kind of on the turkey business side of things. Meat Eater has acquired Dave Smith Decoys, which has been my turkey decoy of choice for several seasons. So it's awesome to have them a part of us, which is, you know, really making me think about fall goose season because they have some amazing goose decoys. If you've never used the sleeper goose shells in your spread, man, for whatever reason, you don't think it'd be a game changer, but it is. And Dave Smith has some really nice ones. Other thing I wanted to tell you is we have a spring sale coming up. I'm probably not supposed to tell you about it this week, but by the time you hear this, you may be getting around to it anyway. May 16th through the 18th, all of our brands will have some seriously steep discounts. And a lot of this stuff is stuff that you will need or will want to have this fall. So do your shopping right now when it's on sale. And don't get all flustered when you realize you're missing your gear a week before the season. And then, you know, you got to pay full pop to get it on top of that. So buy it now while it's uh, steeply discounted, okay? Moving on to the crime desk. A Canadian judge fined a YouTuber $6,000 for illegally catching eight cutthroat trout in Banff National Park. That must be a wrong line because I don't think he was illegally catching. I think he was illegally killing. The YouTuber, a man from British Columbia named Greg Ovens, was filming a video series called the 30-Day Survival Challenge in the Canadian Rockies, according to the Canadian press. Owens was filming the series alongside an American named Zachary Fowler, and both men have been contestants on Season 3 of the History Channel series Alone. The pair had purchased fishing licenses, but said they did not realize the lakes were catch-and-release only. They also used live bait, which is prohibited because it could introduce a microscopic parasite that can be deadly to trout and salmon. Along with the fine, the judge ordered Ovens to post details of his plea and sentence to the YouTube channel where the videos are located. As of this recording, I haven't been able to find that video. Speaking of illegal fishing, Carnival Cruise Lines has banned at least two passengers after they were caught fishing from the deck of a ship. Caught is probably too strong of a word because the offending anglers posted a video of their escapade on TikTok. That video has since been deleted, but not before it went viral and caught the attention of Carnival Cruise officials. The video shows someone handlining a fish. That's, you know, just using line of some sort, no rod or reel. Anyway, hand-lining a fish from the water several stories below the deck while the boat is docked at uh, Nassau in the Bahamas. The short-lived fishing trip violated multiple Carnival Cruise Line policies, which I just have got to laugh at, because if you've ever been on a cruise ship, all they do is encourage you to gamble and drink and eat and then eat and then gamble and drink and eat. But, apparently, a healthier diversion of fishing off of a boat in the ocean is a bridge too far for Carnival Cruise Lines. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. A Kansas man received multiple citations from Finney County game wardens after they caught him, quote, fishing with a 9mm handgun. Details are scarce at the moment, but the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks reports that officials seized a firearm that was used successfully to take a fish in Garden City. The full-sized Ruger American handgun had been outfitted with a flashlight, in case, you know, the fish didn't start biting until after dark. Game Wardens noted in a Facebook post that it is illegal in Kansas to catch a fish with any type of firearm, and if we're being honest, anyone shooting at fish in the water is more of a danger to themselves and others than to the fish, both because it demonstrates a lack of judgment and because bullets can ricochet off the water and hurt someone. Big thanks to Lee Thomason for sending that in. A Montana man was sentenced last month on a felony Lacey Act charge in connection with illegal shed hunting in the Bridger-Teton National Forest. Bozeman resident Joshua Anders Ray was convicted of collecting shed elk antlers outside legal dates for areas west of the Continental Divide in Wyoming. These areas were closed to protect wintering deer and elk, but Ray just couldn't resist the sweet, sweet smell of snow-covered antlers that and he operated an online elk antler dog chew business and wanted to get in ahead of all the other shed hunters. Not only did he hunt in an off limits area, but he was also in the region a day before the start of the legal shed hunting season, and this wasn't the first time he'd been caught. Back in 2021, he was convicted of a misdemeanor Lacey Act violation for the same behavior in the same region. He was sentenced to pay fifteen thousand bucks, but this most recent investigation revealed he hadn't paid any of that restitution. He pleaded guilty to this latest charge along with violating his probation and was sentenced to 90 days of home confinement, a five-year ban from entering federal public lands, and a five-year ban on hunting. That's steep. Speaking of the Lacey Act, an Arkansas hunter is facing fines and probation for poaching a bull caribou in Alaska and transporting it back home. The United States Attorney's Office charged 54-year-old Edward Bundy after he killed the animal in Alaska while falsely claiming Alaska residency. All states treat resident and non-resident hunters differently, but Alaska is especially strict about its residency requirements for hunting big game. Court records show that Bundy had the caribou shipped from a tannery in Alaska to his Arkansas home, which is where he ran afoul of the Federal Lacey Act. He faces up to one year in jail and $100,000 in fines, but a tentative plea agreement shows Bundy getting hit with a $12,000 fine and 18 months probation, where he is not allowed to hunt anywhere in the world. He would also be forced to surrender two caribou and one black bear trophy to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife officials. Thanks, Tommy Lesher, for sending that one in. In Wyoming, officials are searching for the person who shot a grizzly bear and left it on the side of the road spokespeople for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Wyoming Game and Fish Department told the Cowboy State Daily last week that there is an open investigation into the incident, but did not offer further details. The large male grizzly appears to have been shot from the side of the road between Yellowstone and Cody, and wildlife officials were seen scouring the area for clues. Media outlets are reporting local outrage about the incident, and that's understandable. Seeing any animal go to waste on the side of the road is terrible, Killing an animal that is so politically sensitive is a setback towards the goal of official recovery and state management as well. Plus, you know, you're just an asshole. We'll end this week's poaching desk with a fish mystery. A fishery, if you will. The Maryland Department of Natural Resources is seeking the public's help after thousands of trout were killed at a fish hatchery. The DNR reported on Facebook that someone closed a discharge valve in one of the raceways at the Albert Powell Fish Hatchery. These valves help oxygen circulate in the raceways where the trout live and grow. By the time employees noticed something was wrong, 25,000 fish had died due to the lack of oxygen. The DNR says the vandal struck at some point between 11.30 a.m. on Sunday and 7.30 a.m. on Monday morning. These trout were set to be released for Maryland anglers during the 2024 season, and their loss is estimated at $75,000, which is low. Think of the economic impact that surrounds the fishing public on the opening day of the season. Gas station money, hotel money, diner money. If anyone has any information about this incident, contact Jeremy Miller at 410 260 8888. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither just like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Listen, one of the few things expected of you in life is to not let other people pick up after you. That's why I have life insurance, to make sure my stuff is taken care of, even when I'm gone. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under ten minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com/cal. That's meetfabric.com/cal. M-e-e-t. Fabric.com/cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on X. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring.
1: Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER.
0: Moving on to the stream desk. The Colorado Supreme Court is considering a case that could have a profound impact on how anglers access public waterways in the Centennial State. Much like the recent case in New Mexico, this lawsuit revolves around one simple question. Can anglers wade along a river bottom that runs through private property? In most western states, the answer is yes, but not in Colorado. There, the courts have refused to say which rivers count as navigable and which do not, and the legislature hasn't stepped in to resolve the issue. Landowners generally allow recreators to float through their properties, but some get upset when anglers touch the bottom or the banks. That's what happened to Roger Hill in 2012. During that summer, the 71-year-old man encountered a landowner along the Arkansas River who threw rocks at him as he was wading upstream. They threatened him with arrest the next time he visited the spot, and they even shot at two of Hill's friends with a handgun. The bullet struck the stream about five yards from where the anglers were standing. Hill sued those landowners in 2018, and over the course of the next five years, the case has worked its way through the courts. The latest update came in 2022 when an appeals court ruled that Hill had what's known in the legal world as standing. Basically, this just means that Hill has a right to bring his case before the court. But that decision was immediately challenged by the state of Colorado, which has been fighting Hill's claims. They're arguing before the state Supreme Court that the legislature, not the courts, should decide who has the right to access which waterways. Three outdoor groups, the Colorado River Outfitters Association, American Whitewater, and Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, addressed this question in a brief filed with the Colorado Supreme Court. They argue that in other western states, court rulings about stream access have then spurred the legislatures to work out the details of that access. In Utah, Arizona, and Montana, court rulings have confirmed river access, which only then moved to the states to legislate. Quote, were a court to affirm navigability, the political process might then be activated to define the scope and conditions of the associated access. But the status quo is silence and inaction, which are no support at all for the state's plea to deny Hill standing and leave it to politicians. In other words, if the state of Colorado really wanted to clarify these issues, they'd let the courts sort them out. Instead, they're kicking the can down the road and hoping to avoid resolving these disputes that might cut against the status quo and expand river access. Quick sidebar here, and this is the opinion part of the podcast. Uh, where do fish keep their money? Riverbanks. Huh? Huh? No, nah, that's not what I wanted to talk about. I wholeheartedly believe that the benefit to the people of the United States in regards to stream access far outweighs the perceived property rights of some. And keep in mind, those trying to uphold these ill-gotten property rights maintain their individual rights to wade within the high-water mark throughout the majority of the West. The United States was founded with navigable waterways in mind as a means of connectivity and commerce, and it's something that needs to be fought over. If we kick the can down the road, the fight is just going to get harder for the next generation. When we read about cases like this, be it stream access or corner locked lands like the Elk Mountain situation in Wyoming, the thing that it comes down to me is the short sightedness of trying to prevent the public from accessing public ground. We're only on this planet for a blink of an eye. How does it benefit you in a meaningful way? to prevent somebody from accessing public ground. Go ahead and write in to ASK, C-A-L, that's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com. If you got a good argument for the other side, let me know. One way you can help in this fight is to throw a few bucks at the organizations I just listed. I know, for example, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers has a spring fundraiser auction coming up. In fact, I think it's going on right now. Get, uh, get yourself something cool and uh, help the folks that are trying to make public land available to the public. That's a novel idea. Moving on to the wildlife desk. We're starting to get a clearer picture of how this winter will affect hunting tags, and it's not looking great. In Utah, for example, the Wildlife Board just voted to decrease the number of deer and elk permits across the state, including a 31% decrease in deer permits in northern Utah. You might expect hunters to be upset about these reductions, and I'm sure many are, but I think most hunters understand why they're necessary, and some are even volunteering to not kill any deer this fall. In fact, one Wyoming mule deer hunter has launched a campaign called Let a Deer Walk, and he's trying to convince more hunters to do just that. Zachary Key is the president of the Upper Green River chapter of Muley Fanatics, and he told the Cowboy State Daily that many of the hunters he's spoken to have decided to sit out this season but that would be a problem for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department, which relies on license and tag sales to fund their conservation work. So, Key had an idea. Why not use deer tags as raffle tickets? Hunters should still buy their tags, but instead of filling them, they can enter them into a drawing for prizes donated by Wyoming businesses. The idea is already gaining traction. Our friends at Weatherby agreed to donate a prototype hunting rifle that isn't even out yet a motorsports dealership donated a Polaris to ATV, anonymous donors have put up $5,000 in prizes, and Rusty Bell of the Game and Fish Commission agreed to donate his commissioner's tag, which is a big deal. To enter the drawing, hunters will simply mail their unfilled deer tag to an address that's still being determined. Key said that any general season or special draw, mule deer or whitetail tag will be valid for entry, and he expects to set a deadline for August 1st for an August 15th drawing. The idea is well-intentioned, but it's worth pointing out that it takes some decision-making authority out of the hands of the Wyoming Game and Fish Department. I reached out to Brianna Ball, a public information officer for the department, and she told me that while they appreciate the thought and concern behind the Let a Deer Walk campaign, they've already adjusted their license and tag allocations to adjust for this year's winter kill. Antelope tags were cut significantly, and statewide limited quota mule deer licenses were reduced by 43%. The number of approved and allocated licenses um, this year um, that were approved are sustainable and uh, will facilitate that rebound as
2: this impacted big game population. You know, we took a hard look at our seasons and we made modifications after our initial season proposals.
0: Instead of passing on a mule deer this year, Ball encouraged hunters to help improve mule deer habitat. The best way to help populations rebound is to make sure they have quality food over the summer, and there are lots of ways for hunters to volunteer.
2: You know, there is multiple ways we can
0: all come together to improve meal deer habitat, and that's by volunteering for habitat projects, purchasing a Wyoming wildlife conservation plant, uh, plate if you are a resident, purchasing super tag raffle tickets, or even getting involved with a local conservation organization here in Wyoming. If you want to participate in the Let a Deer Walk campaign, I don't think you're hurting anything, but after you enter your tag into the raffle, get out on the landscape and get your hands dirty. Our mule deer herds will need all the quality habitat they can get. Moving on to the fake meat desk. Italy's majority government has backed a bill that would ban lab-grown meat and other synthetic foods to protect the country's food heritage and public health. Thanks to Mark Geringer and his daughter Evelyn for sending in this story, the bill would impose a $67,000 penalty on companies that produce, export, or import food grown from animal cells. This prohibition would also apply to lab-produced fish and synthetic milk. I don't believe this last category would cover nut milks or hemp milk, but it would ban cow's milk grown in a laboratory. The bill is being supported by farmers and agriculture groups who worry that lab-grown meats would shrink the market for their products. We could only celebrate with our farmers a measure that puts our farmers in the vanguard, not just on the issue of defending excellence, but also in defending consumers. Prime Minister Giorgia Milani told a group of supporters, Environmentalist groups and fake meat companies oppose the bill. They argue that lab-grown meat is safe and can help reduce carbon emissions by taking more livestock off the landscape. Commentators have also pointed out that Italy would not be able to oppose the sale of synthetic meat produced within the European Union. EU rules allow the free movement of goods and services, so Italy might have a hard time banning fake meat from being imported into Italy. The United States Food and Drug Administration is allowing lab-grown chicken to be sold in the U.S., but the EU has yet to approve the products. Moving on to the mailbag desk. Listener Jamie Aubin from Massachusetts wrote in to tell me about the new emergency measures that have been taken to protect the striped bass population along the Atlantic coast. The Atlantic State's Marine Fisheries Commission, Striped Bass Management Board, voted earlier this month to limit recreational anglers to one fish between 28 and 31 inches. This adjusts the slot limit from its current 28 to 35 inches. Jamie wrote in to ask why the board is only reducing the slot size for recreational anglers without doing anything to limit the catch of commercial outfits. Quote, I'm all for conservation and helping out species in need, but the commercial industry is still allowed 15 fish under 35 inches. How does that make sense? Excellent and understandable question. I don't have any inside information on why the striped Bass Management Board declined to impose limits on commercial harvest in this emergency ruling, but a few things are worth pointing out. First, commercial fishermen don't operate under the same management strategies as recreational anglers. They're limited by quotas or the total number of pounds of fish harvested each year. States impose creel limits per day, but those fish are then weighed and go towards the quota for that state. Once the quota is reached, the fishery closes. Recreational anglers, on the other hand, are only limited by daily creel and slot limits. So, if you have more recreational boats going out on the water, more fish will be caught, even if their per-day limits are much smaller than the commercial outfits. The Stripe Bass Management Board reports that the recreational harvest in 2022 was nearly double that of 2021. By contrast, the average commercial harvest in 2020 through 21 was 16% lower than the average commercial harvest from 2015 to 2019. This aligns with the board's goal of decreasing commercial harvest by 18%. The recreational harvest is also much larger than the commercial harvest. In 2021, total recreational harvest was estimated at 1.82 million fish, while the commercial harvest that year was estimated at 634,000 fish. I can understand why recreational anglers feel like they're getting the short end of the stick, but if regulators are trying to keep striped bass from being over-harvested, the recreational industry is the bigger of the two fish. Commercial quotas have also been reduced, even though daily creel limits per boat are still much higher than recreators. I know that's a small comfort to Jamie and other East Coast fishermen who must now throw back those 35-inch fish. But when it comes to resource management, sometimes that's just the way it is. Thanks for listening. Remember to write in to ASKCAL, that's askcal at themeateater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. On top of that, head on over to www.steeldealers.com to find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to help you get set up with what you need, and they're not going to try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week.
2: First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot it's more true to size it's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit uh, all of the pieces to me got an all-around upgrade it's awesome to see so for yourself or as a gift this mother's day pick up first light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E.com.